Hey, welcome to the podcast. This is The Surge Effect, and I'm your host, Mike Surge. This podcast will be talking about anything and everything, life in general to current events and past events, and all things about this beautiful and wonderful world that we live in. And this podcast, well, it'll probably have an effect on you. Well, hello again, and welcome to another episode of The Surge Effect. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about the UFO hearing the other day that happened on the Capitol in the United States. There was uh, three uh, military uh, witnesses, and we'll get into that in a second. But before we start talking about the uh, UFO hearing, I'm going to talk about our two sponsors for today. Our first sponsor is... Love My Legs, Owen Sound, Grey Bruce. That's right. Love My Legs allows you to strut with confidence, offering three styles of waistbands for comfort and wearability and the only lifetime guarantee in the industry. For more information, just follow them on Facebook. Click on their link down below this uh, description and uh, follow them on Facebook and you will see what they have to offer. My second sponsor today is T-Shirts, She-Shirts. Head on over to heshirtsheshirts.ca and check out that clothing company because they are more than just a t-shirt company. They sell all kinds of different uh, clothing for men and women. So head on over and check out what they have to offer. Same thing. Click on the link below in the description and uh, see what they have to offer. Okay. All right. So <clears throat> let's get right into um, we'll get right into what's uh, what you. happened the other day. And um, in case you missed it. And hopefully uh, gives you a bit better of an idea of what transpired. There's going to be a long podcast, a lot of stuff to cover, a lot of questions uh, by the congressmen and congresswomen. Um, so I hope you enjoy it. So here we go. Moskowitz, and I would yield back now to our chairman. Thank you. Right. Now I'd like to introduce our witnesses. Our first witness is Lieutenant Ryan Graves. He's the executive director of Americans for Safe Aerospace. Lieutenant Graves is also a former U.S. Navy F-18 pilot with his own unit. UAP experience. The next witness, David Grush, is a former senior intelligence officer with the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency and was a senior technical advisor for UAP issues. And final, finally, retired Navy Commander, da Commander David Fravor, squadron leader who worked as a naval aviator for 18 years. Mr. Fravor has his own UAP experience known as the TikTok event. I look forward to hearing from all three of you today. Um, pursuant to committee rule nine. So now, Mr. Uh, Thank you, Mr. Moskowitz. Mr. Fravor. Back now to our chairman. Thank you. Mr. Fravor, in case uh, you did not know, uh, he has a long military distinguished career. He's also a Top Gun instructor. Um, he didn't even want to come forward with any of this information uh, in regards to what happened. Uh, you can find this information online. Uh, the thing that he saw was uh, a tic-tac, what they call a tic-tac. Uh, he describes it basically like a 40-foot-long or 50-foot-long propane, flying propane tank, right? No wings, no windows, and uh, that's how he described it. But anyway, if you have not had a chance to see it, I'm going to play this little clip for you right now. Now this video that was released by the Pentagon, I believe, last year, 
this was actually taken in 2004. And there it is right there, if you've never seen this imagery. Right now it just shows like a, basically a big black tic-tac up in the air. And this is being caught on radar by the aircraft carrier that's below, as well as the pilot's uh, flare system. Right now, I'm sure the uh, pilots and the co-pilots are probably wondering what this thing is. How's it flying? How's it staying aloft? And of course, the erratic movements of it. Dude, this is a fucking drone, bro. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. The wind's 120 knots to the west. Oh, I think, dude. Incredible. That's not an LNS though, is it? It's not. That is an LNS, dude. Well, if there's a like other thing, it's rotating. So you're listening to the uh, pilots talking about that uh, flying object. I have no idea what it is, and uh, they're a little excited, as you can see. Um, just just amazing when you when you see that. Anyway, you can find that online and uh, on YouTube or wherever. But anyway, the Department uh, of Defense or Pentagon they released it last year, the year before. So uh, anyway, so there's the introduction, of course, of the, the three gentlemen um, who are going to be testifying, um, Graves, uh, Grush, and Fravor. So these three gentlemen are going to start uh, answering some questions here. The first person is uh, Mr. Burchett. Mr. Um, Burchett is going to um, start things off. So here we go. Mr. Graves, again, I'd like to know... Um, how do you know that these were not our aircraft? Some of the behaviors that we saw in a working area, we would see these objects uh, being at 0.0, .0 Mach, that's zero airspeed, over certain pieces of the ground. So what that means, just like a river, if you throw a bobber in, it's going to float downstream. These objects were staying completely stationary in Category 4 hurricane winds. These same objects would then accelerate to supersonic speeds, 1.1, 1.2 Mach, uh, and they would do so in very erratic and, and quick behaviors that we don't, I don't have an explanation for. Okay. Have you spoken to um, commercial and military pilots um, that have seen these off of our East Coast? I have. Okay. Um, Mr. Fravor, I noticed that um, um, in the Tic Tac video, uh, it's Tic Tac like the candy, not Tic Tac like the uh, Chinese Communist uh, 
app. That's correct. Yes, sir. I just want to make that because my daughter corrected me on that and called me a boomer and said, hey, boomer. And I said, no, baby, it's Tic Tac like the candy. You're going to have to just look it up. And But I would also like to say today is a day of many firsts. It's a miracle that we're having this this meeting, and it's also a miracle that my wife has put up with me for nine years today. Today is my anniversary, so I want to tell my wife happy anniversary and that I love her very much. Um, as she likes to say, this nine years have been the best two years of her life. So, <laughs> thank you. Um, Mr. Favor, what, what astonished you the most about the, the flight capabilities of these Tic Tac, very briefly? Uh, the performance. Absolute performance. It was. And, and uh, you're you're not aware of any other objects that anybody in the world has in this world that has those capabilities. No, I think it's far beyond actually our material science that we currently possess. Are you aware of any other reconnaissance platforms that tracked or recorded the Tic Tacs maneuvers? Maybe the NORAD system or any of the others. I am not. Okay, Mr. Grush. Thank you for being here, brother. Thank you all very much. Um, have you faced any retaliation or reprisals for any of your testimony or anything on these lines? Yeah, uh, I have to be careful what I say in detail because there is an open uh, whistleblower reprisal investigation on my behalf, and I don't want to compromise that investigation by providing anything that may uh, help provide somebody information. But it was very brutal and uh, very unfortunate, some of the tactics they used to um, hurt me both professionally and, and personally, to be quite frank. Yeah. It's very unfortunate, as they say, when you're over the target, that's when they do the most fi firing at you. Do you have any personal knowledge of people who have been harmed or injured in efforts to cover up or conceal these extraterrestrial technology? Yes. Personally. Have you heard, have anyone been murdered that you would think, that you know of? or have heard of, I guess? I have to be careful asking that question. I directed people with that knowledge to the appropriate authorities. Maybe in a, um, if we could get, a, get in a um, confidential area skiff, we could talk about that. But unfortunately, um, we were denied access to the skiff, and that's very unfortunate in this, in this scenario. Um, Mr. Favor. Do you believe that you witnessed an additional object under the water in relation to your encounter? I will say we did not see an object. There was something there to cause the white water, and when we turned around, it was gone, so there was something there that obviously moved. Okay, it was, it was not the same object, though, that you were, you were looking at, correct? No, we actually joked that the Tic Tac was communicating with something. Yeah, so just to kind of describe what you just described there, their Tic Tac that, was, that they were following and that they caught on the radar all the ships as well as the, the uh, uh, flight recorders, they thought that it was talking to something that was in the water and they actually saw white water, like stirring, but they couldn't see, an, you didn't see an object. You just saw white water stirring around at the bottom and they uh, actually thought that maybe it was communicating with the uh, thing that was in the water. When we came back and because the white water disappeared. Uh, we were, in, in another instance, we're told about the capabilities of, of a jamming during viewing of some, when there were some people chasing some of these objects. Did you experience any of that jamming or interrupting your radar or weapon system? My crew that launched after we landed experienced significant jamming to the APG-73 radar, which was what we had on board, which is a mechanically scanned, very high-end uh, system prior to the APG-79. 
And yes, it did pretty much everything you could do, range, velocity, aspect, and then it spit the lock, and the targeting pod is passive. That's what we were able to get the video on. I'm about to run out of time, but um, are you aware of any of our enemies that have that capability? No. Okay. I would also like to note for the record that, um, like George Knapp, breaking Area 51, he's the reason I knew about that and the reason I know about the, the Tic Tacs. George Knapp is sitting in behind uh, Mr. Graves um, the there New York Times article on the left-hand side. everybody to read that. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Okay, so that's uh, Mr. Burchett. The next person to ask some questions is, I believe, uh, Mrs. Luna, Congresswoman Luna. So this is this is what she speaking to you. These are the questions that she asks. You yesterday. Um, I just wanted to follow up on Representative Raskin's questions. In the last couple of years, have you had incidences that have caused you to be in fear for your life for addressing these issues? Yes, personally. Okay. Yeah. I just want everyone to note that he's coming forward in fear of his life to put in perspective if they were really not scared about this information coming out, why would someone be intimidated like that? Um, to your knowledge, are NHI is working with adversarial foreign governments in either technology exchange programs or back engineering programs? I don't have data on that. I'm not sure. Have you heard or you had people come forward to present that evidence? Not that particular evidence that you just espoused. Okay. On the 19th of April, Dr. Kirkpatrick, head of Arrow, had said that he did not find any evidence of UAPs. You also stated that you had, um, in your interview, that you had briefed him on information that you were uncovering, but that he did not follow up with you. Were the items that you divulged to him pertinent to national security? Yes, uh, him and I had a classified conversation in April 2022 before he took over Arrow in uh, July two, uh, 2022, and I provided him some concerns I had. Do you know why he might not have followed up with you? Uh, I'm, I, unfortunately, I cannot read his mind. Um, I wish he did. Uh, I, was I was happy to give sage counsel to him on uh, where to look when he took the, the helm of Arrow. Okay, and then my last question for you before I move to Mr. Graves is um, you received prior approval from the Defense Department to speak on certain issues, correct? Correct, through uh, DOPSER, DOD Pre-Publication and Security Review, and I uh, just want to remind uh, the public, uh, they're just looking from a security perspective. Uh, these are my own personal views and opinions, uh, not the department's. Okay, I'm, I'm asking that, though, mainly because I think that there are many people that would like to discredit you so it does bring a certain amount of credibility to your testimony. Uh, I'm required by law to do that as a former intelligence officer or I go to jail for revealing well, classified information. Yeah, we don't want you to yeah. go to jail. <laughs> um, my next question would actually be for Mr. Graves. Um, can you please explain to me in detail the event that occurred at Vandenberg Air Force Base? Certainly. Uh, in the 2003 timeframe, uh, a large group of Boeing contractors were operating near one of the launch facilities at Vandenberg Air Force Base when they observed a very large 100-yard sided uh, red square uh, approach the base from the ocean and hover at low altitude over one of the launch facilities. Um, this object remained for about 45 seconds or so before darting off over the mountains. Um, there was a similar event within 24 hours later in the evening. Uh, this was a morning event. Uh, I believe 8.45 in the morning, later in the evening post-sunset, 
there were uh, reports of other sightings on base, uh, including some aggressive behaviors. Uh, these objects were approaching some of the security guards at rapid speeds uh, before darting off. Uh, and this is information that was received through one of the uh, witnesses that have approached me at Americans for Safe Aerospace. Was this documented in any official form, whether it was a police blotter? Yes, they had uh, official documentation and records from the event that the witness uh, held over the years. And I'm not going to ask you to do it right now for time reasons, but you would be able to sketch what was witnessed, correct? And you've, have you seen that before on any other equipment and or during your flight time? I have not seen what they've described. Um, this object was uh, estimated to be almost the size of a football field, um, and I have not seen anything personally that large. Okay, and then um, another question on follow-up referencing the gimbal video go fast incident. Um, can you just clarify, because to our understanding, the footage was actually cut off at a certain point, but what happens at the end of that video, just for those Americans specifically there that are wanting to know about the rest of that footage? Certainly. Uh, there was some uncertainty or um, you know, instability with the object. It, it seemed to rock a bit, uh, and that's the last uh, last I had seen in the video. Much of the data that I would recommend be analyzed would consist of radar data uh, that would pr provide precise kinematics on the object as well as the fleet of objects that were operating nearby. Okay, and follow-up, uh, in regards to the reporting procedures that Mr. Garcia had addressed on as well as uh, Representative Bur Burchett, with the FAA, to your understanding, pilots that are seeing this, commercial airline pilots, are they receiving um, cease and desist letters from corporations for coming forward with information in regards to safety for potential air, airline passengers. I have been made privy to uh, conversations with commercial uh, aviators who have received cease and desist orders. So the American public should know that corporations are putting their own reputations on the, basic, not the line, but ahead of the safety of the American people. And I think, would you agree with that statement? It appears so. Okay. Well, isn't that something, right? They're putting their own interests ahead of, of the American people or the public of or the safety of the public. Okay, next one is Mr. Muskowski is the next one. Muskowitz, Mr. Muskowitz. All right, here we go. <clears throat> uh, Mr. Graves and, and Commander Faber, I heard you talk about speed. When uh, those objects broke uh, the sound barrier, did they make a sonic boom? I was in a jet. You can't hear anything. It's kind of loud in there. Yeah, you, you're not able to actually uh, personally tell within the vehicle. I will say the objects that we were seeing, they were spherical, uh, and they were observed up the Mach 2, uh, which is a very uh, non-aerodynamic shape. What about G-forces? Let's talk about G-forces of those vehicles. Could a human survive those G-forces with known technology today? No. No, not for the acceleration rates that we observed. Okay. What about what they look like? How close did you get? Did you see a seam or a rivet, or a section. And what I mean is, obviously, the jets you're flying have all those things. Did these objects have those? Do you want to go around? I didn't have, I didn't have the detail to be able to tell that. So we got within a half mile of the Tic Tac, which people say that's pretty far, but it, in airplanes, that's actually relatively close. No, it was perfectly white, smooth, no windows. Although when we did take the original FLIR video that is out there, when you put it on a big screen, it actually had two little objects that came out of the bottom of it. Um, but other than that, no, no windows, no seams, no nothing. Mr. Grush, as a result of your previous government work, have you met with people with direct knowledge or have direct knowledge yourself of non-human origin craft? Yes, I personally interviewed those individuals. <clears throat> Mr. Grush, as a result of your previous government work, have you met with people with direct knowledge or have direct knowledge yourself about ATs, advanced technologies that the U.S. government has? 
based on uh, conventional uh, advanced tech, I was briefed to uh, the preponderance of the defense departments, both space and aerospace compartmented programs, yeah. Do you have knowledge or do you have reason to believe that there are programs in the advanced tech space that are unsanctioned? Uh, yes, I do. Okay. Yeah. And, and when you say that they're above congressional oversight, what do you mean? Uh, complicated question. Uh, so there's, you know, some, I would call it abuse here. So congressional oversight of conventional spe special access programs, and I'll use Title 10, so DOD as an example, right? So 10 U.S. Code Section 119 discusses congressional oversight of SAPs, discusses uh, the, the DEPSECDEF's ability to waive congressional reporting. However, the Gang of Eight is at least supposed to be notified if a, you know, a waived or waived bigoted unacknowledged SAP is uh, created, and that's public law. Well, so that how does, I mean, I don't want to cut you off, but yeah. how does a program like that get funded? I will give you generalities. I can get very specific in a closed session, uh, but a mis misappropriation of funds and uh, does that mean that fund. Does that mean that there is money in the budget that is said to go to a program, but it doesn't, and it goes to something else? Yes, I have specific knowledge of that. Yep. Do you think U.S. corporations are over overcharging for certain tech they're selling to the U.S. government, and that additional money is going to programs? Correct, through something called IRAD. Okay. Um, satellite imagery. Let's talk about satellite imagery. We have satellites all over the place, some that we're aware of and many that we're not aware of, right? We're taking pictures of everything at every point in second. Uh, Mr. Grush, are you aware, do you have direct knowledge, or have you talked to people with direct knowledge that there are satellite imagery of these events? Uh, that was one of my primary tasks at NGA, since we uh, process, exploit, and disseminate that kind of information. I've seen multiple cases, some of which, to my understanding, and of course I left NGA in April, so that's my information cutoff date, uh, but I personally um, reviewed both uh, what we call overhead collection and from other strategic and tactical platforms that were, I could not even explain prosaically, and I have a degree in physics, by the way, as well, and I had, I, I'm aware that you guys have not seen these um, reports, unfortunately. And I don't know why. It is, do you have direct knowledge, or you have spoken to people with direct knowledge that this imagery applies to crash sites, crash, crash imagery? I can't discuss that in an open session. Okay. Uh, do you have any information that the U.S. government is involved in a disinformation campaign to deny the existence of certain UAPs? I can't go beyond what I've already stated publicly in my News Nation interview because uh, it touches other sensitivities. Okay. I know a lot. Uh, he said several times where he can't discuss stuff unless it's in a skiff, right? So unless it's in a, a, a confidential uh, room that's, you know, they can say stuff that they normally couldn't say to the openly to the public. I know as well some people might be saying, oh, how, how interesting this is having a, a UFO uh open session right now with uh, Hunter Biden stuff going on and the Trump stuff going on and they have so much stuff going on in the mail or in the uh, mainstream media. It's almost like it's being deflection. It's all deflection stuff, but I don't know. You can look at it that way. Or you can look at, Hey, you know, this was just the, this was just the time that they decide to, uh, to have this particular uh, hearing Rush, on this type of all. thing. So you got, you know, ask yourself that question, but anyway, we're going to move forward here and uh, go on to the next video it's um, mr bruchette again asking some more questions feel like you need to jump in just jump right in we're good 
Um, has the U.S. government become aware of actual evidence of extraterrestrial or otherwise unexplained forms of intelligence? And if so, when do you think this first occurred? Uh, I like to use the term non-human. I don't like to denote origin. Keeps the aperture open, both scientifically. Right. Uh, uh, certainly, uh, like I've dis discussed publicly uh, previously in 1930s. Okay. Can you give me the names and titles of the people with direct first-hand knowledge uh, and access to some of this crash retrieval, some of these crash retrieval programs, and maybe which facilities, military bases that would the recovered material would be in? And I know a lot of Congress have talked about we're going to go to Area 51, and you know, I mean, there's nothing there anymore anyway. It's just you know, and we move like a glacier. And as soon as we announce it, I'm sure the moving vans would pull up. But please. Uh, I can't discuss that publicly, but I did provide that information both to the intel committees and the inspector general. And we could get that in the SCIF if we were allowed to get in a SCIF with you. Would that be probably what you would think? Sure, if you had the appropriate yeah. accesses, yeah. Uh, what special access programs cover this information, and how is it possible that they have evaded oversight for so long? Uh, I do know the names. Once again, I can't discuss that publicly and, and how they've evaded oversight. I. In a close setting, I can tell you the specific tradecraft use. All right. When do, when do you think those programs began and who authorized them? I do know a lot of that information, but that's something I can't discuss publicly. Cause it's sensitive. All right. Many of y'all want to jump in on A lot of stuff you can't discuss. Um, what level of security clearance is required to fully access these programs? Well, anybody who has... Uh, and, I, and I say that oh. because myself... Um, Representative Gates and Representative Luna were basically turned away at one point at Eglin. So please go right ahead. Uh, certainly, difference between member access and say somebody like me, but anybody who has a you know TSSCI clearance and meets the eligibility criteria, the access adjudicative authority should be able to grant you so, access. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Bertrand, if you'll yield. So just to be put a fine point on that, there's nothing that you're aware of that's above special access program classification. It's a misnomer that there's anything actually above top secret. Executive Order 13.526 delineates the classification levels. Right. And, but I, I draw a point on that because we can have access to, mm -hmm. to those programs. And so the notion that we're not being given that access sort of defies our typical muscle memory here in Congress. Thank you, Mr. Burchard. I'll yield back to you. Thank you, Mr. Gates. Um, along those lines, Title 10, you may not know this or not, but uh, Title 10 and Title 50 authorization as they, they seem to say they're inefficient. It, so who gets to decide this, in your opinion, in the past? Uh, it's a group of career uh, senior executive officials. Okay. Are they government officials? Both or in and out. Do what? Both in and out of government, and that's about as far I as I can go you. there. Yeah. All right. Well, that's, that leads to my next question. Which private corporations are directly involved in this program? How much taxpayer money has been invested in these programs, to your knowledge? I mean, we know we, know we, we audit the Pentagon every year, and I've been here five years, and they failed the dadgum thing every year. They uh, lose over a billion dollars a year, we think, and I've told the Department of Defense maybe 60% of their assets are unaccounted for, whatever the heck that means. In the public sector, you go to jail for that kind of crap. So tell me. Yeah, I know when I, um, I'm a dollar off of my DTS travel voucher, I get hammered, but it uh, seems like it doesn't work the other if way, you sell right? Over yeah. six, if you sell over $600 worth of stuff on eBay, now you get a call from the IRS, so 
Mm -hmm. Please, what corporations? Yeah, I don't know the specific metrics towards the end of your question. Uh, the specific corporations I did provide uh, to the committees in specific divisions, and uh, I spent 11 and a half hours with both intel committees. So. Okay, has there been any, has there been an active U.S. government disinformation campaign to deny the existence of unidentified aerial phenomena, and if so, why? I can't go beyond what I've already espoused publicly about that. All right, so the next video I'm going to show is Matt Gates, Representative Matt Gates gets to ask his questions. So here we go. Several months ago, my office received a protected disclosure from Eglin Air Force Base indicating that there was a UAP incident that required my attention. I sought a briefing regarding that episode and brought with me Congressman Burchett and Congresswoman Luna. We asked to see any of the evidence that had been taken by flight crew in this endeavor and to observe any radar signature uh, as, long as, to, as well as to meet with the flight crew. We were not afforded access to all of the flight crew. And initially, we were not afforded access to images and to radar. Thereafter, we had a bit of a discussion about how authorities flow in the United States of America, and we did see the image. And we did meet with one member of the flight crew who took the image. The image was of something that uh, I am not able to attach to any human capability, either from the United States or from any of our adversaries. And I'm somewhat informed on the matter, having served on the Armed Services Committee for seven years, having served on the committee that oversees DARPA and advanced technologies for several years. Um, when we spoke with the flight crew, and when he showed us the photo that he'd taken, I asked why the video wasn't engaged, why we didn't have a FLIR system that worked. Here's what he said. They were out on a test mission that day over the Gulf of Mexico, and when you're on a test mission, you're supposed to have clear airspace, not supposed to be anything that shows up. And they saw a sequence of four craft in a clear diamond formation for which there is uh, a radar sequence that I and I alone have observed in the United States Congress. One of the pilots goes to check out that diamond formation and sees a large floating, what I can only describe as an orb, Again, like I said, not of any human capability that I'm, that I'm aware of. And when he approached, he said that his radar went down, he said that his FLIR system malfunctioned, and that he had to manually take this image um, from one of the lenses, and it was not automatic, automated uh, in collection, as you would typically see in a test mission. So uh, I guess I'll start with Commander Fravor. In, how should we think about the fact that this craft that was approached by our pilot uh, had the capability of disarming a number of the sensor and collection systems on that craft? Well, I think this goes to that national security side. And you can go back to your history of things showing up at certain areas and disabling our capabilities, which is disheartening. And for us, I mean, like I said, it, it completely disabled the radar on the aircraft when it tried to do it, and the only way we could see it is passively, which is how he got that image. 
So I think that's a, that's a concern on what are these doing, not only how do they operate, but their capabilities inside to do things like this. And, and how should we think about forecraft moving in a very clear formation, equidistant from one another, um, in a diamond, in all of the phenomenon, perhaps, Mr. Grave, that you've analyzed, um, have we ever seen multiple craft in a, in a single formation? I have one particular case, and that was uh, during the gimbal incident. Um, the recording on the AT FLIR system shows a single object that rotates. Um, you hear the pilots refer to a, a fleet of objects that is not visible on the FLIR system, and, and that was something that I witnessed during the debrief as part of the radar data on the situational awareness page. I would like to add, however, Congressman, uh, there's a small, uh, small bit of uh, uh, anger, I would say, I would feel that those pilots are still uh, facing that difficulty in reporting this topic and they don't have the tools to be able to mitigate this issue. It just goes to show how serious this is and why this is such an important issue for our pilots and for our nation. It was stated explicitly to me by these test pilots that if you have a U of AP experience, the best thing you can do for your career is forget it and not tell anyone because any type of reporting, either above the surface or below the surface, uh, does have a perceived consequence to these people, and that is a culture we must change if we want to get to the truth. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I, I would observe that perhaps as we, uh, as we move forward from this hearing, there are some obvious next steps. Every person watching this knows that we need to meet with Mr. Grush in a secure compartmentalized facility so that we can get fulsome answers that do not put him in jeopardy and that, and that give us the information we need. Second, I would suggest that the radar images from, um, that were collected of this formation of craft out of Eglin Air Force Base and specifically the actual image taken by the actual flight crew that we can actually validate um, be provided to the committee, subpoenaed if necessary, um, so that we're able to track how to get this type of reporting and analysis done in a more fulsome way. That would be my recommendation, humbly, as a guest here of the Fine Oversight Committee. So that was an interesting uh, bit of questioning by Mr. Gates. And next one's going to be Mr. Mace. Chairman, and good the morning next, to uh, our witnesses. Questioning, or sorry, Mrs. Mace or Miss Mace. To are testifying today, I want to thank each of you for being here to discuss a topic of grave importance to our national security. Earlier this year, a Chinese spy balloon was shot down off the coast of my home state of South Carolina. Since the Roswell incident in 1947. Many Americans have wondered about the dangers of unknown objects crisscrossing our skies. Whether these are UAPs or weather phenomena, advanced technology from American allied or enemy forces or something more out of this world. So my first question, I have several questions and I'll, I, if we can just be quick on these first two, I'm going to ask each of you the same question um, and then I'll get to each of you individually. Uh, the first one, when you reported your experiences with a UAP, did any of you face any repercussions with your superiors, yes or no? No. No. I've actually never seen anything personally, believe it or not. So. <laughs> All right. Um, and then do, do you believe there's an active disinformation campaign within our government to deny existence of UAPs, yes or no? I don't have an answer to that. As previously stated publicly, yes. I think previously with like Project Blue Book, yes, but currently I don't speak for the United States government. Okay. Thank you. Um, I have a few questions for Mr. Graves. Um, what percentage of UAP sightings in your belief go unreported by our pilots? 
this is an approximation based off of my personal experience speaking with a number of pilots, but I would estimate we're somewhere near 5% reporting perhaps. So like 95% basically don't report seeing UAPs. That's just my personal estimate. Um, in the incident off Virginia Beach, do you believe the Navy took the danger to your aircraft seriously after it was reported? Absolutely. Um, a few questions for Mr. Favor. As an expert naval aviator, have you ever seen an object that looked and moved like the Tic Tac UAP? No. Did the Tic Tac UAP move in such a way that defied the laws of physics? The way we understand them, yes. Many dismiss UAP reports as classified weapons testing by our own government, but in your experience as a pilot, does our government typically test advanced weapon systems right next to multi-million dollar jets without informing our pilots? No, we have test ranges for that. It took over 15 years for your encounter with the Tic Tac to be declassified. Do you feel there was a good reason to prevent lawmakers from having access to this footage? No, I just think it was ignored when it happened, and it just sat somewhere in a file, never got reported. In a drawer. It happens a lot up here. <laughs> Shocker. Um, Mr. Grush, uh, a couple of questions for you, too, sir, this morning. Um, what percentage of UAPs do you feel are adequately investigated by the U.S. government, of the 5% that are reported? <laughs> um, I can only speak for uh, my personal leadership over at NGA. I tried to look at every report that came through that mm -hmm. I could triage. So. Do you believe that officials at the highest levels of our national security apparatus have unlawfully withheld information from Congress and subverted uh, our oversight authority? There are certain elected leaders that had more information that I'm not sure what they've shared with certain Gang of Eight members or et cetera, but uh, certainly uh, I would not be surprised. Okay. You've stated that the government is in possession of potentially non-human spacecraft. Based on your experience and extensive conversations with experts, do you believe our government has made contact with intelligent extraterrestrials? Something I can't discuss in public setting. Um, okay, I can't ask when you think this occurred. <laughs> if you believe we have crashed craft, uh, stated earlier, do we have the bodies of the pilots who piloted this craft? As I've stated publicly already in my News Nation interview, uh, biologics came with some of these recoveries. Yeah. Um, biologics came with these recoveries. Wow. Were they, I guess, human or non-human biologics? Non-human, and that was the assessment of people uh, with direct knowledge on the program I talked to that are currently still on the program. And was this documentary evidence, this video, photos, eyewitness, like how would that be determined? The specific documentation I would have to talk to you and skiff about. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, okay, so, and, and you may or may not be able to answer my last question and maybe we get into a skiff at the next hearing that we have, but who in the government either, what agency, sub-agency, what contractors, who should be called into the next hearing about UAPs, either in a public setting or even in a private setting? And, and you probably can't name names, but what agencies or organizations, contractors, et cetera, do we need to call in to get these questions answered, whether it's about funding, what programs are happening, and what's out there? I can give you a specific cooperative and hostile witness list of specific individuals uh, that were in those. And, and how soon can we get that list? I'm happy to provide that to you after the hearing. Super. Wow, Ms. Mace, she asked some great questions, and um, yeah.
when she asked a question about the biologics and uh, non-human, that's pretty intense. So there's uh, another, another speaker here is uh, Mr. Uh, Langworthy is uh, another congressman for questions. Here we go. I'd like to thank uh, all of the witnesses for being here today uh, to discuss this very unique topic. Uh, and I'd like to jump right into my questions, if you don't mind. Uh, Commander Fravor, can you briefly describe your background? So Mr. Fravor is going to describe what he's about. And you say to yourself when he's telling you who he, who he is, what he's about, why would he even want to come forward? Why would he even want to come forward with this and, and be, say, ridiculed or, um, you know, subjected to all the negative overtones that this whole subject comes with? Okay, check it out. Yeah, I was an enlisted Marine, Naval Academy graduate, Navy, flew for 18 years, got a master's from University of Houston, uh, and I've worked in the private sector for the last, what now, 19, 16 years, 17 years. I do a lot of defense work. So. Really gold-plated credentials. Uh, Commander Fravor, have, uh, we have all seen the floating tic-tac video uh, that you engaged with on uh, November 14, 2004. Can you briefly talk about why you were off the coast of San Diego that day? Yeah, we were at a workup with all the battle groups. So we integrate the ships with the carrier, the air wing with the carrier, and we start working. So we were doing an air-to-air -air defense to hone not only our skills, but those of the USS Princeton when they had been tracking them for two weeks. The problem was that there was never manned aircraft airborne when they were tracking them, and this was the first day, and unfortunately, we were the ones airborne and went and saw it. Do you remember the weather that day? Was it cloudy or windy or anything out of the ordinary on the Pacific coast? It was actually, if, if you're familiar with San Diego, it was a perfect day, light winds, no white caps, clear skies, not a cloud. It was for flying, it was the best. Now, is it true that you saw, in your words, a 40-foot flying tic-tac-shaped object? That's correct. Or for some people that can't know what a tic-tac is, it's a giant flying propane tank. Fair enough. Did this object come up on radar or interfere with your radar or the USS Princeton? The Princeton tracked it, the Nimitz tracked it, the E-2 tracked it. We never saw it on our radars. Our fire control radars never picked it up. The other airplane that took the video did get it on a radar. As soon as it tried to lock it, it jammed the radar, spit the lock, and he, he's rapidly switched over to the targeting pod, which you can do in the, uh, the F-18. From what you saw that day and what you've seen on video, did you see any source of propulsion from the flying object, including on any potential thermal scans from your aircraft? No, there's none. There's no uh, IR plume coming out. Uh, and Chad, who took the video, went through all the EO, which is black and white TV, and the IR modes. And there's no visible signs of propulsion. It's just sitting in space at 20,000 feet. In, in your career, have you ever seen a propulsion system that creates no thermal exhaust? No. Can you describe how the aircraft maneuvered? Uh, abruptly, uh, very determinate. It knew exactly what it was doing. It was aware of our presence. And it had acceleration rates. I mean, it went from zero to matching our speed in no time at all. Now, if the fastest plane on Earth was trying to do these maneuvers that you saw, would it be capable of doing that? No, not even close. And just to confirm, this object had no wings, correct? No wings. Now, was the aircraft that you were flying, was it armed? No, never felt threatened at all. If, if the aircraft was armed, do you believe that your aircraft or any aircraft in possession of the United States could have shot the tic-tac down. 
I'd say no, just on the performance, it would just left in a, in a split second. It looks like that we have a problem here that needs further investigation. <laughs> yes. Huh, do you think? Uh, in your belief, is this, this flying tic-tac, I mean, is, this, is it capable of being the product of any other nation on the earth? No, I actually said, like I said earlier, I think it defies current material science and the ability to develop that much propulsion. And I, I know there's been some physicists that have done calculations, which is beyond anything that we have. Well, either the United States has an adversary here in this world that we don't know, or we really have some serious investigations to do. I, I really appreciate you being here. Um, is there anything else about the November 14, 2004 incident that you think is important for this committee to know that you haven't been asked here today? No, I, I, you know, it's, it's been said it's probably the most credible UFO sighting in history based on all the sensors that were tracking it, and then for us to get visual and to go against the naysayers, it, it's something on the screen or whatever. I mean, there's four sets of human eyeballs. We're all very credible. Of the six of us that were involved in the thing, including the video, every one of us is going to do 20-plus years in the military in very responsible positions. So I'd say the world needs to know that. So there you go, as far as uh, credible witness goes. I mean, uh, Commander Fravor, uh, he's top-notch. Top-notch right off the chain. I mean, this guy knows his shit, and uh, he didn't even want to come forward. Um, you'll maybe hear it in this next little clip, but he never even wanted to come forward um, because of all the negative uh, overtones that comes with this. And uh, he was actually talked into it by a friend of his, he said, after about six or seven times, he finally caved in and said, okay, I'll do it. But uh, uh, it's pretty pretty intriguing stuff when you see the picture and then, of course, the radar imagery, the FLIR stuff, and then uh, the three pilots and the three uh, co-pilots. Um, it's crazy, crazy. So you, this Mr. last uh, individual uh, is Mr. Ogles. So we'll uh, see what Mr. Ogles has to question the three witnesses. Thank you all for being here and the courage it took to come forward and, and again, the sacrifice that each of you have made. Um, I serve on the National Security Subcommittee for the Financial Services Committee, so I really want to stay in the national security lane, uh, if I may. Um, so when we think about traditional adversaries and uh, both us uh, towards them and them towards us, you know, we probe uh, their capabilities. We look for weaknesses uh, and we, we collect that data, that reconnaissance for in the, in the event we need it in the future. Um, for each of you, yes or no question, based off of your own experience or the data that you've been privy to, is there any indication that these UAPs could be uh, essentially uh, collecting reconnaissance information? Mr. Graves? Yes. Mr. Grush? Fair assessment. Yeah. Mr. That's Fravor? Very possible. Again, in the national security vein, uh, is it possible that these UIPs would be probing our capabilities? Yes or no, Mr. Graves? Yes. Rush? Yes. Braver? Definitely. Is it possible that these UAPs are testing for vulnerabilities in our current systems? Yes. Yes. Possible. Do you feel, based off of your experience and the information that you've been privy to, that these UAPs provide an existential threat to the national security of the United States? Mr. Graves? Potentially. Yes, sir, potentially. Uh, same answer, potentially. Yeah, I'd say Fravor. definitely, potentially. Mr. Graves and Fravor, you know, in the event that your encounters have become hostile, 
would you have would have would you have had the capability to defend yourself, your crew, your aircraft? Absolutely not, sir. No. Is based off of the information that you've been privy to, is there any indication that these UAPs are interested in our nuclear technology and capabilities? Yes. By external observation, sure, that could be a fair assessment, yeah. Yes. Is there any indication that the Department of Energy is involved in UAP data collection and housing? I don't have an answer. I can't confirm or deny that in a public setting. And no could answer. you do it in a, in a secure setting? Yes. Mr. Fravor? No, I don't know. Mr. Chairman, um, you know, I think I'm the last member to go, but there clearly is a threat to the national security of the United States of America. As members of Congress, we have a responsibility to maintain oversight and be aware of these activities so that, if appropriate, we take action. I would encourage the chairman to demand that we have any and all, but in particular Mr. Grush, uh, talk to us in a skiff. And if that access is denied, I will personally volunteer to uh, initiate the Holman Rule against any personnel or any uh, program or any agency that denies act access to Congress. So that's pretty heavy by uh, Mr. Ogles there saying that he will basically enact that Holman Act against them if they decide to um, go against what they want done. So the very last person that has to talk is Mr. Burchett, and uh, he is going to ask a few questions, and then this will be the end of the testimony. Starting with Mr. Graves, why did you come forward on this issue? I came forward because I felt that my colleagues did not have a way to mitigate the safety threat, and I wanted to help them. I was trained as an aviation safety officer by the Navy, and this seemed, it just, it just felt right. I felt like I had to help the folks that were still flying and dealing with this. Mr. Grush. Purely a sense of duty. Um, I first swore an oath when I was a cadet 18 years ago, and I, I still uphold that even out of the uniform. Commander. I was pestered uh, by a friend, <laughs> and I asked why, and he said, you're the one person that they can't discredit, and you'll add credibility to the New York Times article. And so after about six times, I said, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, this town isn't... Uh, made, unfortunately, by people like y'all. We thank y'all. And I do want to also thank the people in the audience and the people that are watching this that can't be people all over the world that have kept this issue alive. You've endured criticism and derogatory remarks, and we're trying to get to the bottom of it. And so God bless y'all. Thank y'all so much. We really appreciate you guys and gals. Um, That's why we need term limits. Y'all keep clapping. Those politicians just keep talking. So um, let me ask y'all, how can the public contribute to UAP reporting? And what avenues you think are available to the public to report these sightings? Well, right now, I don't think there is a lot of uh, public options for that, every man to be able to report on this. Uh, I think even for professionals that have sensor data that are seeing these on a regular basis, they're still hesitant to come forward. Uh, and so for the general public, I think uh, encouraging the conversations that we're having today, looking for technology solutions that can be distributed uh, so that objective data can be gathered is the first place to go. Mr. Grush? Uh, I'll just touch on the whistleblower side of it. I do encourage you know, current and former military intelligence community and industry contractors to come forward in a legal way, 
either through the IC or DOD or whatever the cognizant IGs are, um, to, to lead me, you know, lead, you know, join me in this discussion. Commander, and I, I guess I should say this for the record, my daddy was United States Marine Corps, 1st Marine Division, so. Hoorah. Yes, sir, he was old school, him and Chesty Puller on Peleliu, so thank oh, you, wow. brother. <laughs> wow. Yes, sir. Um, I'm not, I'm not anything like my daddy. He was incredible. I'm very mediocre to say the least, but go ahead. You seem to be doing fine. Yeah. Uh, for me, uh, you know, I was an accident investigator, so the biggest thing that you learn, and I think that witnesses need to, to do is, one, don't try and make the fish bigger than it was. Stick to the facts, write it down, and don't speculate what you think it is because it will sway your decision. Just write the facts down. We can get all the facts together and we can start to investigate and get a real honest story instead of it was this big. Thank you, all, and I want to thank everybody. We made history today. All right, so with that last one being said, I'm just going to kind of finish off with what uh, Commander Faber was just talking about. Uh, basically saying that uh, stick to the facts, you know, point out what you had, and that's basically what he did. This is what him on the Joe Rogan uh, podcast, actually. He's been on a lot of different interviews talking about the same thing, and he's never changed his story. The story's always been the same. Um I'm kind of the same way when it comes to certain things like that. I mean, when you see something with your own eyes, like I showed you the video of the tic-tac right off the very start, if you've never seen it before, your your mind gets racing. You go, what is it, right? And the capabilities of, like you said, going from 80,000 feet down to like 1,000 feet above the water in seconds, no human could do that. They could, they'd, be, they'd be squashed. So when you see something like that, you kind of, it kind of makes you wonder um, what it is, what it's about, where it's from, um, your, your mind does get racing. So you don't want to get ahead of yourself. You want to, see, Like you said, you don't want to say it's a great big fish story that's this big. And In fact, let your eyes see what you see, and then you can just figure it out yourself. But like I've said to people before, in regards to us being on this little blue ball in our galaxy, if you ever go online and see how small we are in this vastness of space, we'd have to be pretty egotistical to believe that we are the only living things in this vast universe. There are other biological beings, let's say that, uh, biological entities, whatever you want to say, I believe that they are out there. Um, the processes of uh, numbers, just take the numbers in general, right? Which is billions and billions, billions. You can't believe that we're the only ones in this vast, vast space. That's just my personal take on it. Maybe you have yours. Leave some comments below. Leave some comments below on what you thought about this uh, podcast and what you think of some of these people that were speaking. You maybe agree with them. You maybe not. Like I said earlier, maybe it's a diversion because of all the Hunter stuff going on and the Trump stuff going on and all the stuff going on in the world. Who knows? Ukraine and everything else. But it is what it is. These guys uh, did the testimony, and that's that. Okay, so thanks again for tuning in to The Surge Effect. Much appreciated. Thanks to all the subscribers that have subscribed to this channel. Much appreciated. And don't forget to subscribe and like this channel. Hit the little bell for any uh, notifications for any up-and-coming podcasts that I have. Much appreciated. Uh, podcasts can also be found on rumble.com. Just go to rumble.com and type in The Surge Effect, and you will see my TSA with my microphone in black. You can also be found in uh, iPhones and Android uh, apps, um, uh, podcast apps. Just go on the uh, App Store 
Just type in you know any podcast app, and once that's loaded up, go to the search, type in The Surge Affect, and you will find me there. I'm also on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm on all the social media platforms, so it shouldn't be hard to find me. So anyway, that's it for today's podcast. Until next podcast, everyone, have yourself a great day. Cheers. This episode sponsored by He Shirts, She Shirts. Go to www.heshirtsshirts.ca. Just type in the letters TSA, the surge effect. When you check out, type in TSA for your coupon and receive 10% off your next purchase. Thanks for listening to today's podcast, everybody.